I'm Chelsea Riggs. I'm the global brand president for Amica. And what I love about beauty is the element of storytelling. I think it is so unique to the beauty industry. And I love telling stories of products, of brands, of purpose and values. From New York City, you're listening to Beauty Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the beauty industry. Hi, this is Mimi Banks, and you're listening to Beauty Is Your Business. Today, I have the extreme pleasure to have Chelsea Riggs, the global brand president of Amika, on with us today. Hi, Chelsea. Mimi, I'm so excited to do this. The last time we talked with our voices was on Clubhouse, I think. This is fun. I know. I know. We made it happen. And you had a baby since we decided to do this also. Lots of changes. Completely. Yeah. He's uh, almost 11 months now. So time goes by fast. Wow. Wow. So for the very small percentage of people who don't know about Amika, I would love for you just to start, just to tell us a little bit about the Amika brand. Sure. So Amika is a professional hair care brand of hair care products and tools. We were started over a decade ago, and the name Amika actually means friend. And that's actually what we call a symbol of our belief in the power of community and the beauty of diversity. We actually have 11 collections in the brand so that we cover every hair type, texture, even style, We want all hair to be welcome at Amika. We're actually Brooklyn-born in the Williamsburg area. If you're from Brooklyn, you know exactly what that means. And salon-raised. So both of those things are very connected to overall culture and creativity. And that really is a way of life for our brand. And our company is made up of just a bunch of creatives and hairstylists and product enthusiasts that like to do things differently and bend the rules, which is probably apparent from our packaging and the values that we have and the products that we make. That's amazing. And how did you end up at Amika? I would love to know a little bit about your history at the brand. Sure. So I started in apparel out of university. So I went to American Eagle Outfitters. I thought I was going to be a merchant and do the whole merchandising track. So I went to school for that. And for several reasons, realized that that is not where I want to be spending my time and actually wanted to get into sales. So I moved to New York, was working a couple small fashion showrooms, anything you can do in New York City to pay the bills, right? You're holding a couple jobs early on. And I found this job posting for a sales manager for a new beauty company on Craigslist, because that was actually okay back then to look for a job on Craigslist. No way. And took the subway to deep Brooklyn, which it wasn't nearly as cute as it is now. And yeah, the rest is history. I loved the, at the time they just had hair tools and I loved the prints on the tools and I love the people working there. And I thought, yeah, this could be cool for a couple years, maybe maximum, right? Like get my, my foot in the door and start building something in the beauty world. 13 years later, I'm still here. I was going to say fast forward, how many years later? So you went from, as we were just saying, startup to exit. What number employee were you? I was employee number one. So I started with the three founders, Shai, Nir, and Vita. They were looking for a salesperson and I was, I was the first person 
they had a couple people working, you know, packing orders and sending out invoices, et cetera. But I was the first hire they made on the brand side. So it's doing some sales, some marketing, some business development. You know, when you're small, you wear all the hats essentially. Right. And now 13 years later, you guys just sold. Yes. So we exited a majority stake to Bonks, which is a private equity group last summer. So we're about eight-ish or so, 10-ish months from that. Well, what an incredible story. I know that a lot of people who work at startups, their dream is to be able to to go through that exit, but it's it's not as easy as it looks. 13 years later, an employee number one, how many employees are there now? Well, we actually have two brands within our organization and we own our own warehouse and operations. So overall, there's about close to 300. On the Amica brand specifically, we have just over 100 people on the brand. Still from starting from one with the founders, that's really incredible. Yeah, it's interesting because we didn't have that exit goal in mind. I think that's more typical today, right? Where you hear a lot of people are like, oh, you know, we're 5 million, but you know, we want to build this to 100 million in exit. And just was never something we talked about or, or thought about until really the last few years when it became a little more eminent. And one of the unique things about Amika, and I think from the beginning, it's been very forward thinking as a clean brand, and you're recently certified as a B Corp. I'd love for you to tell us more about your ethos and what that process is for becoming a B Corp and what that means. Sure. So being a B Corp is very new, but has been a long process to get there, as you can imagine. And this essentially at a high level means that we've hit a standard of excellence in five categories across our business. So they measure um, environment, governance, workers, community, and customers. And there's a, a minimum score within each one of those that um, gets you to being B Corp certified. So I think a lot of people confuse B Corp with you know, being good for the environment, which of course that is one element of it, but it also has and encompasses those other pieces as well. And getting there, I mean, it is a full organization wide initiative. Obviously HR actually ended up being one of the biggest areas in terms of you know how we treat our workers, all the protocols and for safety that we have in place in our warehouse. It just goes very, very in depth in places you probably don't quite realize when you think of what being a B Corp means. And we scored extremely high for our industry. And we are only the fifth hair care brand that's professionally distributed to be B Corp and the first one at Sephora, which is really exciting. So we're the only B Corp at Sephora and hair, which is pretty cool. Wow. That's huge. I think that I didn't know all the different categories myself. How long did the process take? That's a good question. So we had 2025 as our goal, and then we moved it to 2022. But because of the transaction and the way that the organization was restructured, we had to redo a couple of documents and resubmit. And once you submit and you get everything in, then there's this whole verification process and you don't know how long that's going to take. But we did set our sights on it in 2020. That was when we really said, okay, by 2025, we want to be B Corp. And we were able to do it two years early. Well, congratulations. That's huge. Wow. That's a huge milestone, specifically rare for the industry. I think you hear it and don't, don't realize like how much, what actually the work that it takes behind to make it happen. And so let's go back to the clean story for a second. I would love to talk about, I think from the beginning, Amika had a vision of being clean. Amika is friends with the planet forever. I love that that's a slogan, that that's part of your mission. Can you talk to us more about that? 
Yes. So in the beginning, Amika, the name Amika actually means friends. So a friend to hair is first and foremost, right? Because we make hair products. A friend to hair stylist because we were salon raised, as well as friend to people and the planet. So the planet is a, is a big pillar there. And we made the declaration to be net zero by 2030 and eventually net positive, carbon positive as well. We're climate neutral and are constantly looking at how can we reduce our footprint, right? Because it's one thing to be able to measure all of the scopes. So there's scope one, two, and three. Most companies that say they're carbon neutral, which is not verified, right? Like climate neutral is a, is a verification of carbon neutral are tracking like scope one and maybe scope two, because those are the easiest things that you can track. For those people listening, don't know what that means. Can you explain a little bit what those mean? Scope one, scope two. Yeah. So scope one at a high level is if you think about it from a tracking perspective, it has the most direct impact. So I'll give you an example how we think about it. So scope one would be um, like our warehouses, our office. What are the emissions that come from that? Scope two would then be such as like electricity, right? That's being provided to us. And that can also incorporate warehouses, office. If you are a retailer, it includes your stores. Scope three is everything else. So that is upstream and downstream shipping. It's um, any insurance and software, any business commuting from employees. It's how you ship your products to, you know, if you're buying them from your packaging from China to the US, like everything else is scope three. And so that's why scope three is so important to measure because that is really what is the majority of the polluting from a business. So being able to track it first. Second is how do you offset that, right? Which a lot of companies are doing offsets. So if they do track scope three, they're probably offsetting. And then the last is how do you reduce your footprint, right? How do we, maybe it's taking less air shipments. When you're a small company, things are always in a rush, right? You're like, oh, I need that. I needed that yesterday. So you decide to airship something from China or wherever you're sourcing. That's a massive carbon impact. So changing your modes of transportation can be one. You can do a reduction strategy with, we have PCR plastics. That is a huge reduction on the amount of carbon that we're emitting when we're creating our packaging. If you take it a step further and let's say you do the refills, which we just launched a forever friend refillable bottle, which is made out of um, Triton plastic. If you buy our refill pouches, you make an additional cut to your carbon footprint than even our PCR plastic bottles. So that starts to be your reduction strategy. In a business like ours and in beauty, it is near impossible to not emit any carbon, right? To completely be negative, but you can offset what you can't, and then you can reduce what you can. And a lot of brands, just generally speaking, are they scope one, scope two, or scope three? Majority of brands are tracking scope one, maybe scope two, and are climate neutral for that, or carbon neutral for that. Climate neutral requires that you track all three. So it sounds like it easier is the wrong word, but you have more control over scope one, scope two can build towards, and then scope three, you really, it takes a tremendous amount of effort and simplification. Yes. And there's a lot of tools that are coming out for small companies as well to be able to start to understand how they even get that data, right? Because it's really also comes down to the data and how do you track this. And you guys just became clean at Sephora. Sephora, they started a program talking about brands that are clean. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. So clean at Sephora, I'm not sure the exact year that it started, let's say within the last 
five years. And then they launched Clean Plus Planet Positive, I think about two years ago. We got the Clean It's a Forest seal last September. And we've always been kind and clean. We have thought of ourselves as a clean brand. We always formulated to E standards since the beginning, which are some of the most strict in terms of cosmetic regulations, but felt that the standards for clean at Sephora were definitely best in class for a few reasons. They were considering the percentage of which in certain ingredients are used, right? And rather than just banning something completely, thinking about safety first. And if you take it a next step further, which we're working towards this summer, launching the Clean Plus Planet Positive Seal, that is starting to look at ingredients from how it contributes to the environment. So it's not necessarily a safety issue with consumers, but it comes down to a safety issue within the environment, right? Are these water-soluble silicones, et cetera? Great. I think that one of the things, at least from a consumer perspective, that I've always loved from Amika, not just that the the team is lovely, but the ethos always from the beginning has, has stayed the same. To your point, you mentioned kind, sustainable, good products, and it's just very reliable. I just think what a, an amazing brand that you've helped to build and grow. And it's just a great story. So one of my favorite things, or what I think just as a human that's important is giving back and philanthropy. And I know that you have started a new giving back strategy I would love to learn more about that. Yeah. So we partnered with an organization called Here to Stay in 2017, and we actually just crossed our $1 million donation this year. So we've donated over a million dollars to Here to Stay. And they are a small organization and growing, but who focus on scalp cooling. So what that is, is the ability to retain your hair while going through chemotherapy treatment. And we felt this was a really important message and organization being a hair brand, being a professional brand where we know stylists are that go-to person for a lot of people when they're dealing with hair loss, when they are maybe getting a chemo cut, right? And so they are just so personally aware of that entire experience and what better person to have be equipped with the knowledge of there is this option of scalp cooling, which even internally as a company, when we got involved, we didn't even know that was a thing. I had a friend who went through cancer, lost her hair. I helped her with the wig. I had never heard of scalp cooling as even being an option for her. It was only FDA cleared about a year before we got involved with them, but it is a treatment that has been available, for example, in Europe a long time before it was FDA cleared in the United States. And it has been growing and another part of Heritage Day is not just the awareness of scalp cooling, but also the cost, because a lot of insurance carriers do not cover scalp cooling as part of chemotherapy treatment, and they provide subsidies to those who need it. And that's where our dollars go. Recently, we started thinking, okay, how can we do more? We want to have a bigger impact in our overall communities in which we play, and specifically really anchoring our friend messaging and the brand promises that we have. So overall, we commit to donating at least 1% of profits that are causes focused on progressing people and also increasing equity within the beauty industry. So we're about to come out and announce that we are investing in the next generation of hair care leaders, which for us are number one, hairstylists, and number two, hair brand founders. 
So we have two organizations in which we are partnering with in order to do that. The first one is a company called Beauty Changes Lives, which provides scholarships to students who want to attend cosmetology school. And the second is with SoGal, which is actually a venture capital firm who invests in female-founded businesses. They have a foundation called SoGal Foundation, who we will be doing four grants to hair care brand founders. So on the scholarship side, there's two, there's spring and fall. And you, the two that are available are one for BIPOC applicants and the other for LGBTQ. And then we're SoGal Ventures, also targeting BIPOC-founded, female-founded hair care, ideally even further professional, where we feel we can actually make not only a difference through grants and money, but also through mentorship and introductions and really kind of showing them because we feel we've kind of seen it all, you know, from that startup to exit and how can we continue to increase equity within our industry and do more. And we're really toying around with, you know, how do we execute that internally and felt SoGal was the perfect partnership to make that come to life. So we talked a little bit about Amika, how it means friends. And I love how you talk about community selfishly as someone who works in social. I'm always intrigued about the social strategy And I think Amika has built an incredible community socially. I'm curious to know more about what role the social community plays within the larger community or just about community in general. So social is integral to the brand for a few reasons. One, when we first started, it was the only way to market that we didn't really need to spend any money, right? So you had those early wins and successes and start to connect directly with consumers, which really had never been done in this way before social media. So we were pre-Instagram when we launched. There were some YouTubers. Creator hadn't been introduced yet as a term and have pretty much doubled down ever since. So for us, both the creator community as well as our stylist and consumer communities are a primary focus of ours. So a few things around that. We created two community groups about five years ago and have continued to grow those and maintain those. And they are essentially like mini focus groups as well as friends of ours, right? Where we can kind of just bounce ideas off and share with them. And we, we manage them through a couple platforms, Facebook being one of them. So we have our Amica fan group and we have our Amica stylist league. So we keep them as kind of two separate groups, just in terms of the types of content that they relate to and the types of questions and products for testing, et cetera. That makes sense. From a social content perspective, it's very interesting to see this different iteration of platforms, right? Because there's always a new platform popping up. You're wondering if it's going to be sticky and you might kind of peek around in there, but is it really worth investing your time as well as your, your money, right? If you're shooting content and TikTok has been one of those platforms that obviously has been worthwhile. So we actually started on the platform just through creator relationships, because we were still trying to figure out, well, what's the best content and way for us to communicate as a brand? And I can't take any credit for anything that goes on on our TikTok page. That is fully the social and community team, our marketing team. They are the user. They are the TikTok user. They are excellent at all the content they're creating. And 
we have such a high, we have an internal like proprietary entertainment score that we use to kind of evaluate outside of, you know, vanity metrics like followers. Sometimes you can get caught up in, well, do I have enough followers or enough views on my content? But what's the entertainment value? Because at the end of the day, that is what social media from a brand perspective should do. It should educate, it should entertain, it should inform. So it is a massive, it's at the heart of our marketing strategy that we think about all of our paid content first through a social lens. And I love the content in it, and you serve it through each platform as it's meant to be, whether TikTok is more entertaining, video-based and trends. I think that your even your Instagram content is so rich and it's educational, which is super important in hair care when you have to figure out when you have 11 different categories to help the consumer or the even the average person be able to find the product that's right for them. We're also educating on other things that are more specific to our brand values. But so if you're thinking about sustainability, how can we help the consumer and the stylist understand more about, I mean, I'm confused about recycling and I work in a company that is B Corp certified and has recyclable plastic. So if I'm confused and I live in a state where recycling is a high majority of the products that you put curbside recycle will do get recycled, but that's not the case across the country. So imagine how a general consumer who's not as enlightened on some of those topics feels about that. So we try to bring different experts in from internal to educate on some of those other topics that are outside of just being product, right? Hair type, how can you learn about porosity? What does that mean for the products that you need to use? Not just this is a product, here's the benefits, here's the ingredients, here's a before and after that's pretty convincing by me, right? So it's fun. Speaking as a social person, I think that there's an art to how you tell the story as a storyteller through that small box, right? You have to do it in such a way that's compelling, that's engaging, and that keeps someone attuned to your message. So I'm excited to know that it's at the heart of your strategy because I think you guys do such a great job. Speaking of strategy and you and your time in Amica, I'm sure that there in the 13 years, there's been some lessons that you've learned from when you thought that it was just going to be a, you know, a holdover job to learn to say, wow, I can really grow to the global brand president and becoming the president and then going through the exit and still being there. This is a very large question, but I'm always curious to know some of the lessons. Sometimes it's through mistakes. Sometimes it's through experiences. Sometimes it's just in general. But if you had to give, share a lesson that you've learned along the way, is there, what comes to mind? A lot of lessons come to mind. You make a lot of mistakes or you think they're mistakes, but they're all lessons to learn from and grow from, I think. One that comes top of mind is it can be very challenging to be, whether you are an entrepreneur yourself and this is your business and your career choice, right? Maybe you left a big company or corporate career to start your own thing and you're not sure if it's going to work out. Or you're like me and you're, you know, one of the first employees at a company that you're not sure if they're ever going to pay your payroll, right? You're just wondering, is, is that a threat? Should I be looking for a different job? I definitely had those moments early on and actually for probably a few years after that. And my question that I always ask myself is, am I learning here? Do I have a lot of autonomy and responsibility and can I make an impact that I can feel and see, right? It's rewarding to me. Am I having fun? And then everything else is, yeah, sometimes jobs are really hard. Like I traveled 90% of the time for a few years and that was really hard. 
I didn't see my friends. I didn't see the time now my husband, but boyfriend, shockingly that worked out, but it can be really challenging. And it's just kind of grounding yourself in believing that this is going to pan out. Hopefully it doesn't necessarily going to pan out to be a big exit, but is at least, are we having a fun time? Is it rewarding? Am I learning and growing? I think those are great questions. Is it fun? Is it rewarding? Am I learning? I think those are three really great questions because Today, some people only stay at a job for one to two years max and really bounce around. My father was at his job for like 32 years. I was at L'Oreal for almost 15 years. And that's kind of all I knew. You're there for 13 years, but we're the anomalies. Yes. Today, we're definitely the anomalies. I understand why that is the case today. And I think it's even more enhanced because of this hybrid working that a lot of people have, right? You're not as connected to the people that you work with. Like you might be superficially connected, like on a surface level, we're not like invested. You know, I had personal relationships with everyone I worked with. We were going through these growing pains together and we wanted to all kind of see it through, right? Like you kind of feel like I'm already invested in this. I kind of want to see it to the end. And I'm not sure that people today who are entering the workforce really have that same option. So I think it is important if you can join a company who has some sort of hybrid ability where you can be in person, you can gain some of those skills that you really are going to get from mostly from being in person. And I like the fact that you're able to build something so that you're a part of it. You're really a part of the company or the organization or something that that you're working for or you're working towards. So whether it's a product launch, whether it's a larger business that you feel it's a sense of belonging. Yes. And I think there are a lot of people I've met who've worked in, you know, bigger company like a L'Oreal, who've worked on maybe a smaller brand within L'Oreal and or Estee or Shiseido, whomever, who actually explain their experience as being more of like an entrepreneurial or scrappy environment because they don't get the same like budget allocations that you would think being under a L'Oreal would get. And they, they're always, you know, they're applying to brands like Amica because they want to get back to that, you know, having some process and structure and being you know, a good sized business, but still also having that autonomy and, and freedom to make an impact. That was one of my favorite parts of L'Oreal was the, and I didn't know it at the time because that's really my only job, but the entrepreneurial aspect, I kind of created every job that I had. And so that's all I knew was how to create and to own and create everything around me. And it was, and it really prepared me to have my own business, which I didn't know at the time, but I was always learning and around some of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. And that kept me on my toes and kept me hungry to do more. So I love that. So I can't believe how fast this has gone. Um, there's so much more I want to talk about. But before we close, I wanted to make sure that someone wants to find you. How can they, where can they find Amika? You can find Amika on Instagram. So just add Amika. We also have a pro account if you're a stylist, which is at Amika Pro. Same on TikTok our website, which is Love Amika. And if you want to find me, I'm Chelsea M. Riggs on Instagram. I am not a TikTok video creator. I think I've created <laughs> one just to go through the experience, but I'm there just lurking really. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much, Chelsea. It's so nice to chat with you and learn so much about all the incredible things that Amika is doing and how you've helped grow the business tremendously. This has been Beauty Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at beautyisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Your brand message can be on this show. 
Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening.